This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Cripple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Well, hello there. Welcome to a brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I am, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. I am your deliciously disabled, your delectably disabled, your deliriously disabled, I don't know, I'm your disabled boyfriend experience, hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled, let's get on with the show. So I'm recording two episodes back to back today, so I'm like ready to go, I have all my notes ready, I have files all open on my computer to do each episode, I got got some water here, some apple juice, I'm like ready to go, I'm hanging out in my scrubs though, I'm actually wearing sexy gray sweatpants so for all you lovers out there i'm wearing gray sweatpants with no underwear because easy access y'all hey um uh but anyway now that you know what i'm what i'm wearing or not wearing uh let me start first things first i want to give a shout out to the city that's been listening to the show the longest over the last three weeks and i gotta say it's my hometown of toronto Thank you, The Six, for letting this crip talk to you about my big, thick, crip dick. And thank you for all the other cities listening. If you want to hear your city featured on this little weird part that I do, make sure the people in your city know about my show and get them to download Disability After Dark. But thanks, T-Dot. Appreciate it. Okay, now, now we'll get started. I promise. Okay. So for this one, I wanted to review a movie that I saw a couple years ago. When I first saw the movie, everybody and their best friend was like, oh my god, Andrew, you have to go see this film. It's about somebody with cerebral palsy, and it's about sex, and oh my goodness, it's right up your alley, and it's a great film, you have to go see it. And I had a friend of mine at the time, unfortunately we're not friends anymore, but a friend of mine at the time said to me like, hey, we should go see this together, it's really important for your work. And he showed me the trailer for this film, and I immediately fell in love with the content because... It was something I'd never really seen before in a, in a film, and I was like, wow, this is really great. I want to go see this movie. And then I saw the movie, and I initially was in love with it because I was craving representation. And then I realized that the movie was super ableist in different ways, and I, I, I've been asked to speak about this movie on panels and things like that, and the more and more I talk about it, the more and more I find little weird problems with it. So I wanted to do a proper review for... Disability After Dark. And the movie I'm talking about 
is 2015's Margarita with a Straw. You can down, you can view this movie on Netflix. It's out everywhere. It's available everywhere, but especially on Netflix, totally free. And I would highly recommend that if you haven't seen it before listening to this review, go have a watch of that. It's about an hour and forty minutes. Um, go watch that and then come back and listen to my review because I have some feelings about it, y'all. Some real feelings, and I'm gonna get to those right now. I was going to play you the trailer like I usually do when I do a movie review, but the movie is the trailer is really visual and it's just a bunch of plinky plunky music that's like dun, 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 and you can't really like if I play the trailer, you'd have no idea what's happening. So I'm not going to do that. Um, if you want to watch the trailer, you can see it on YouTube or Netflix, too. But just go on Netflix and watch the whole movie before you listen to my review. But now let's get to my feelings about this film. Okay, just before I hit record just now, I thought I lost my notes on the film and I was gonna have a fucking coronary because I swear to God, in, in the notes for this film, within 15 minutes, I had two pages of like real notes. I was really worried that I lost them, but I found them. So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let's, let me pull them up and do this. So I'm gonna, I'm calling this episode Margarita with a Naw because that's how I feel about the film. Um, all right. So I've watched Margarita, Margarita with a Straw a total of like seven or eight times because I've been asked to speak about it on panels and I've been asked to, to review it with like youth groups and I've been asked to go and do things where I get to talk about it because it deals directly with sex. Um, like I said, the movie was introduced to me back in 2014 when a friend of mine had heard about it and was like, oh my goodness, this is a movie about a film about... The, this is a movie about a young girl in India with cerebral palsy who finds her independence and the friend was like you have to go see it right now so so important go see the film and so I did I went and I saw the film with him and the first time I saw the film back in like 2014 I fell in love with the main character Lila because she was a character that had cerebral palsy and was a wheelchair user and she was exploring her sexuality and the wheel the film shows Things like wheelchairs, straws, ramps, all the things that I use in my everyday life in a whole new context. So I was initially really enamored by the film and by seeing so much representation like this on screen. Or by, sorry, by not seeing representation like this on screen, I was completely okay with the fact that, that the actress playing Lila wasn't actually disabled at the time. I was like, oh no, it's no problem. I remember watching the film initially or like a second time and, and saying and remarking that, oh, wow, that actress really got it right. The actress really did a good job playing disabled. And I really am kind of ashamed by that stance now because I was more than okay with the fact that, 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 that this person wasn't disabled and they were cripping up for a role. And now I would never do that. Now I'm looking at you, Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart at doing the upside. Don't do it. Don't hire non-disabled actors to play disabled it's not fun it's our lives are not a costume and i'm really ashamed that i felt that way at the time but i was really okay with the fact that she was not disabled at the time because i thought that she had gotten the characterization right which is totally some way that i don't feel now but i did at the time 
And I think that's what's happening when we, when we are so starved for roles and starved for a version of ourselves on screen that we can relate to that I see so many other disabled people saying, you know, it's okay that Brian Cranston is playing a disabled character. It's okay that the, the characterization, because the story is true. And I would just have to say, no, the story is not true. Please, other disabled people who have said this, rethink those stances. Because when you hire a non-disabled actor to play disabled, you are not sharing disabled truths. In fact, you are just you are just perpetuating the idea that disabled people don't really exist and disabled people don't have value in these in these professions of actors and writers and producers please don't support films where non-disabled character non-disabled actors play disabled characters please no more and i know that some of you have said to me on my social media over the last few days about the brian cranston thing that you really support films like this but please Please consider, reconsider, and rethink your stance. Also, non-disabled friends, don't weigh in here. You don't get to weigh in because you are not disabled. You do not get to weigh in here. If we're upset about it, there's a reason, okay? Just FYI. Thanks, friends. A lot of the reviews of the film also mentioned that, quote, you forget that she's an able-bodied actress. And that's how I felt, but I'm here to remind you that the actress is not disabled. Reviews also said that the film had been, had the film been produced by a major studio, it would have received Oscar buzz. And my first thought was, great, so we have another person cribbing up to win awards. And the film did win some awards, which I think is really gross. And I wish those awards could be reconsidered because they're not deserved. You made a mockery in a costume of our lives and that's not fair. The director of the film said they couldn't find any actresses with cerebral palsy in India to play the part. They did try to outsource to hospitals and, and um, community centers where disabled people were, but they claimed they couldn't find a person. Um, and my, my thinking on that is, couldn't they have outsourced the role and found an actress with a similar background? I know that comedian Masoon Saeed is, has cerebral palsy and is Palestinian. Well, it's not entirely the same culture, I'm sure they could have worked around that and made a film that way, um, but to do so without a disabled person is just really, just colors the film a complete way for me. Just want to clarify on something I just said. When I said they could work around that, what I mean to say is they could have made the character Palestinian and hired Masoon Saeed and said, we want to have you as the main character here uh, to ensure proper representation all the way around. But they didn't do that. So, boo. I, I wasn't saying that Masoon Saeed should, should change her heritage because of whatever. But I'm saying they could have made the main character of Lila Palestinian and have CP and be a wheelchair user. It could have been done. But overlooking all that ableism, let's watch the movie! So, the very first, <laughs> the very first frame of the film is really hilarious. It was. It tells you right away that it was funded by ADAPT, Able Disabled All People Together. And this club was formerly called, I love this title so much, it was formerly called the Spastic Society of India, Mumbai. And I was like, oh my goodness, please, can somebody create a gang or band or a club called the Spastic Society of India? I would totally 
join and I would sell memberships. I am so there for that. Can we start the Spastic Society of Facebook or the Spastic Society of Twitter? Seriously, somebody should get on that. I, I, I want to be like the vice chair of that club for sure. The Spastics Club sounds really, sounds just hilarious. I'm there for that. So one of the reasons why I fell for this film so hard initially was that in the very first frame after the Spastic Society of India, you see someone pouring liquid into a cup with a plastic straw. Plastic straws are a huge part of my day today, and I believe they are also great markers of disability in cinema, and I loved seeing that in the very first frame was the straw because it kind of spoke immediately of accessibility to me the minute I saw it on the film. That's another reason why you can't take away our plastic straws, corporate world. We need them to show markers of disability in film. Don't take them away. In like the second scene of the film, I also got really excited because it is an Indian film and you see some of the city where where the story takes place and I got excited because I wanted to understand how this culture looks at disability and as we'll talk about in a minute they totally like don't address that properly but I was excited for a minute because I was like wow I want to see how Indian culture plays on disability one of the very first things you see is the character of Lila in her parents' van with her whole family there. And the first thing she says is, Bye, Papa, in what I would say is a really common cerebral palsy dialect, which I'm not going to try and emulate here. Uh, so I was initially enamored with the character because I was like, again, I was like, wow, did she really got that dialect right when really it was just her cribbing up and that feels weird to say now. But I was happy because I was like, yeah, I have friends that have that speech impediment. That sounds correct. And it was just totally not. But that's the first thing you see, and you see her getting out of her van and wheeling into class. And I love these markers of disability as they are an important part of my life. I like seeing the van, the ramp, all the things she had to do to get to school. But it irks me when you realize that they were just a costume for the actor. And then she heads into class, and the very first person she sees is her friend, Dhruv. And he's also a wheelchair user, and they say hello and greet each other. And I, again, thought that was really powerful because usually when you're a disabled character in film, you're the disabled character in film. So to see more than one for a second was really powerful. Although, I'm not sure if the guy playing Drew was really a wheelchair user, although I hope so. I really hope he was, because that would have been awesome. I'm not sure. Drew then makes an, a joke about how He's at the perfect eye line to see pretty girls in class because he's in a wheelchair and he can see their underwear or something. And when you watch the film, they play it off as an innocent comment. But in the Me Too era of people being pervy and kind of gross, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way watching it yesterday. Um, and it reminded me that disabled people can also be pervy and inappropriate. And it just felt really not cool and not comfortable to watch. So if you watch that scene and you felt weird too, yeah, it was weird. Next, you see Lila being carried up the stairs by in her wheelchair by two maintenance guys. And I giggled watching this part because so many times in my elementary school experience, 
did the elevator break or something happened and janitors tried to carry me upstairs and you you're sitting there and you're like I'm gonna they're gonna drop me I'm gonna die this is how I'm gonna die right here this is it this is how and they never dropped me but I couldn't I the look on the actress's face though was true to life of oh my god they're gonna drop me for sure Then there's a scene where she's at home at night cropping pictures of her so that you don't see her in the wheelchair. And I resonate, this scene resonated with me initially because when I was younger, there were definitely moments where I tried to take the wheelchair out of the frame and not look so disabled and tried to, and I've taken photos again where I looked less disabled. And I think all of us with disabilities, whether acquired or congenital, have been there at some point in our youth trying to figure out how to not look disabled in a photo and cropping is definitely something I've done now I'm like show the chair I want to see the chair but I felt for the character there because I have been there and I think we all have her brother Manu makes a joke that Dhruv is her boyfriend and their mother sternly reminds him that he isn't and the way she does so is like no 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 Lila he's Lila doesn't have a boyfriend. Drew's not her boyfriend. Like, very concerned that she couldn't have a relationship. And I got kind of annoyed because I was like, wow. It's 2014 when this film came out and we're still relying on these stereotypes of, like, the scared, concerned mother. Wow. Wow. Like, the mothers should be a little bit more progressive. Although maybe that was, like, Indian culture. I'm not sure if... I'm not sure entirely of how Indian culture views sexuality and disability. But I'd love to know more... Anybody from those places listening or with an Indian background who is disabled and wants to come and share these experiences with us on the show, please come on. I'd love to hear more. And then there's a really beautiful scene where she masturbates in the rain. And I love the way the scene is shot because she's sitting in her wheelchair, contorting, trying to reach her body and trying to get off. And had this scene been played by a disabled actress, it would have been super powerful and poignant but it just doesn't hit home as much when you realize she's not disabled when you realize that that the actress could actually get in the real position and therefore she could make it look better but I would love to see a a disabled person in that scene try to get off because I've been there in my wheelchair trying to jerk off and getting in those positions and it's hard as fuck but I want to see that on film not some person playing that game The next day, she's at school with Dhruv, and she takes Dhruv into a classroom, and they go there in their wheelchairs, and they go into this empty classroom, and they make out. The scene is super important because it shows two disabled characters, like, getting it on, not just one able-bodied character and one disabled character and all that stuff, but it shows two physically disabled characters having sex, which is super important. Um, But I was watching the scene, and I was like, wait a minute, I could never have just wheeled into an empty classroom in school and made out with somebody someone would have questioned me my pca my personal my personal care attendant would definitely have followed me around and been like what are you doing where are you going why is this happening explain yourself i couldn't have just made out in an empty classroom so i would have liked to see more of that but for cinema for this for the for the film i get i guess it's a pretty scene but that would never happen in real life somebody would be like what are you doing you can't make out here what are you doing Then the next scene is that she goes to, she's eating lunch and she sees a boy that she likes and 
as she's eating, the boy goes to sit with her, and she shyly asks him over to her place, and she's like, oh, come over sometime, come to my house. Of course, she says so in the CP accent, so it's hard to understand. Um, and when he doesn't understand, she, instead of saying, like, oh, I said this, she actually says, like, oh, nothing, don't worry about it. And I, I think we've all been there a few times um, where when somebody doesn't understand us, because I'm a fast talker, and when I like a boy, I talk really fast, so sometimes they won't understand what I'm saying, and if they don't understand, I will be like, oh, no, I didn't say that, no, 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 no problem, like, I won't say what I actually said was I wanted, like, invite you over or hang out, I won't say it because I'll be shy, so I think we've all been there as disabled people sometimes when our, when we get excited over things, our speech can change, and if we get excited over a boy or a partner, it can be hard to articulate that, and if they don't understand, we don't want to have to repeat ourselves for fear of ableist rejection. So uh, yeah, we, I've definitely been there myself. Later that night, she talks to the same boy over Skype, and when he agrees to like do something with her or something happens for their thing, she gets excited and like falls over her chair. And I giggle at this scene because I have been there so many times. Like when I get really excited over somebody or over something happening especially when it comes to like dudes i like i my whole body gets tense i have a whole body erection hot i know where every muscle is at attention and i can't move as well and sometimes i'll fall or i'll giggle or i'll move in weird ways because my body is so excited um so yeah i, f I felt her there and i felt that scene was true to life The next scene is she meets Drew in the hallway at school. Actually, he corners her in his wheelchair. Uh, gross. And he's angry that he doesn't want, that she doesn't want to see him exclusively. Like the scene is she's going to the to somewhere and he like stops her with his chair, and he won't let her pass. And I was like, ew, toxic masculinity, disabled guy, gross. Like don't do that. Um. And so. She says she wants to explore things and see other people. And I was like, good for you. And he was like, what am I, just an experiment to you? And so he was obviously mad and feeling the sting of rejection from one of his own and from another disabled person. I think that can be really hard when another disabled person doesn't want to like hang around with you and someone that you like. So, um, so yeah that scene happened, but I didn't like that he, like, cornered her. I thought that was gross, and so they have a big fight, and he calls her an asshole, and, no, she calls him an asshole, and then they're done, um, and they don't, we don't see him for a while, but I felt it was kind of disgusting that he cornered her, and he wouldn't let her go, which is proof that toxic masculinity and disabled men is a real thing, and we should talk about that more, too. Friends, I am only 50, 15 minutes in this film, and I've already written out two full pages of notes. I'm on page two as I read this. Like, there's so much more to go. Prepare yourself for a jam-packed episode because I have so many more notes. The relationship with her mother in the film and the relationship with her, with her mother in relation to care and her care really hits home for me and I think for many of us watching and, th and that's another part of the film I really like because it made me think of my mom and how my mom helped me with so much of my care. So when you're watching the film, pay attention to that, to that a little bit because it really does drive the film home in a different direction. Um, and then the next scene is 
the band she's in, because she's in a band as, as a musician, they win an award at some music festival thing. And they win an award all because she's disabled. And when they go to to award her, they say, like, oh, the, this award is because she's inspirational and good for her and blah, blah, blah. And she gets mad and gives them the finger. And initially I was like, yeah, good for her. Yeah, yeah. But then watching it again, I was like, but wait, is there money involved? Maybe, like, swallow your pride and let them be inspirationally gross to you and then take their fucking money. I would take their money and give them the finger afterwards. I'd be like, thanks for the money, you're assholes. Bye! One of the boys she likes is in her band, and at one point he's helping her into her chair, and she tells him that she likes him. She's like, hey, I I like you, and I'm, I only like you, and I want to be with you. And this was a tough thing to watch, because in those moments of care, when someone is lifting us, holding us, helping us, those are moments where the most intimacy is created, and that's where we feel the most vulnerable and safe to make these big pronouncements because you're taking care of us. You won't hurt us now. Um, and so she tells him she likes him, and then when he finds out, he like slings her back in her chair and throws her back in the chair. I want to say almost in disgust, and it made me think that we need to be careful how we tell non-disabled people things about our lives. We need to be careful how we tell them when we like them, how we tell them things that they might not want to hear. We need to be careful because we could get hurt. And I think maybe like we talked about in, in the episode about texting and sexting, that's why so many of us make big-ass pronouncements over text because we're safe to do it that way. After she tells him, he flings her back in her chair and he like wipes his mouth out of like shame and then she's left there alone to kind of just cry and I remember watching that yesterday and just crying with her because I think I've been there too and I've been really upset and you try to like keep it together and hold it together but it just hurts so so much and I cried watching that scene for sure because I've been there um, I cried those tears last week over a boy that I liked and that didn't like me back or couldn't deal with things and so it, it that stuff brings up so much real ableism and if she had been a if she had been a, a truly disabled person she wouldn't have to draw from experiences for that she could have just pulled an ableist moment out of her repertoire and felt that so next time hire a disabled actress because they'll know how to play that scene better so then she finally she's getting dropped off at college the next day and her mom drops her off at the college and so then as she's driving away her mom like watches her from behind a tree it's really weird she watches her from behind a tree and she watches her daughter going to the college and I know they were trying to build a can she be independent can she be away from her mom narrative in that scene but it really almost reads like a scene in a comedy spy film because the way the camera tracks is that it's behind the behind the mom's head and in front of the tree so you see the mom like peering out from behind a tree, watching her daughter in a wheelchair drive into the school, and it's like she's going to attack the daughter, but not really. It's really weirdly shot. I'm not sure why they picked that angle, but it made me laugh my head off. And so at the end of the day, when her mom comes to pick her up, she finally tells her mom why she's upset over that boy, and she cries really hard with her mom, and she's like, oh, mom, the guy doesn't love me, he doesn't love me. And that scene really got me because I used to withhold 
so much stuff from my mom about dudes and ableism and all the things that I was feeling. And I would get angry at her and I would start screaming at my mom over nothing, over over how I was feeling, not having an outlet for it, not wanting to share sex up with her. And I would finally cry and tell her the truth and we would be fine. And so now that I've told her about a lot of my experiences, like working with sex workers, we're so much more open now. And I, I really want to have my mom back on the show to talk about those experiences with her and talk about telling her, uh, you know, her thoughts on me telling her about you working with sex workers. And there will be more with my mom because a lot of you have said your mom's interview was one of my favorites. And if you haven't listened yet, go back and listen to episode 65. But she will be back on the show at some point soon, I promise, because I loved having her on. Um, I also want to have my sister on at some point to talk about our sex work stuff. Or no, our... um our sex toy stuff, rather. So she'll be on soon, too. You get to meet the whole family of mine, so it'll be great. Uh, but yeah, when she, when the character of Lila in the film cried with her mom, I really felt that hit home for me, too. So then almost out of the blue, she, her mom's like, come, come sit with your dad and I at the table and talk to us one night. She's like, come, come outside. So Layla goes outside in her wheelchair and her, her mom's like, you got accepted to NYU. Do you want to go there? And I was like, hang on a minute. Did we even know that she was lying there? Was there any story arc that let us know she wanted to go to NYU? What the hell? This is where the movie kind of loses something important for me. I feel like they could have spent a whole bunch of time teaching the audience about how Indian culture understands and talks about disability. They really could have done so much more with that. But instead, they immediately move her to New York. They move her, they, she says yes, and then boom, the next scene is she's in New York. What I also found kind of troubling was that in that scene, there was no discussion of what her needs might be when she moved to New York. There was no practical discussion of accessibility, care workers, apartments, all that kind of stuff. What does she need to move to New York? In real life, if you're making a giant move like that and you're disabled, these discussions have to happen and I think it would have been really valuable to see a character go through that and have a real true-to-life discussion about those things and they didn't do that here. So then magically she's in New York and there's again like no she's just somehow in New York somehow found housing somehow found accessibility no problem which which really to my New York friends I know it's not like that yeah, I know it's not that easy. Like, someone from New York, come on the show and tell me about accessibility, because I know it isn't that simple to just move, to just move. Um, and every time I've been to New York, accessibility has been a big issue, for sure. So the fact that they made this character just move to New York in a happy moment is super problematic for me, because it's just not realistic. So she's in New York, and she gets on the bus, and she goes to the, the MTA driver, and he's like, hi, Welcome to New York. Where are you going today? And I was like, what the fuck? When I went to New York, it wasn't like that. He was way too nice to her. And when I needed a bus in New York, they literally drove on past. What the hell? So then she's in class at NYU and the professor, she tells the professor that she can type. But then he assigns her the cute boy and, and she's like, oh, no, no, I'll take the, I'll, he's like, do you want to, do you want an assistant? And she's like, no, no, I'm good. And then he's like, but oh, I want to do a sign this guy here and she like 
taps the cute guy on the shoulder and she's like, oh yeah, I'd love his help, thank you. And I giggled because I wish that the cute boy in my like college school would want to help me and that never happened. Like these are these are cute romantic things that disability can show a little bit because that would never happen in real life. You would never get the sexy guy agreeing to help you. That would never occur. So I kind of like that they threw that in there. So the cute guy who I don't think who I don't think has a name. Um, oh yeah, his name is Jared, but you only see that on the on the closed captioning. So Jared and her are walking home one day. And she's talking to him, and they're talking, and she says, and no, he says to her, oh, I really want to go to India sometime, and she right away says, you can stay with us, and I kind of giggled at that, because when I like a boy, all my boundaries go out the window, and because I want the able-bodied person to like me, I don't care what my boundaries are, and that happened in this movie almost like seven or eight times, and I just giggled, because I've been there, I don't put up boundaries when I want somebody to like me and I have to do that more. Don't worry, there'll be a whole episode on boundaries coming up soon. But uh, I just laughed because she was right away like, oh yeah, stay with me in India, no problem. You don't know this guy. He's a complete stranger to you. Don't do that. Save me first. The next scene is she's rolling around in her wheelchair and she's headed out somewhere down the street and there's a tear gassing, etc. There's a tear gassing and a, a riot happening that she like stumbles on. And she meets a blind girl there, and they go into the they go into the riot together, and she starts chanting "fuck the police," which is awesome, and I support the idea. But I get and I get why they wanted to put the scene in there. But realistically, as a wheelchair user, I might stay out of a big protest like that because I have more chances of being hurt. So it just felt kind of silly because like a wheelchair user might not go running into where there's there's tear gas. And cops, just because. Even if you feel strongly about something to protect yourself, you might not just go do that. And I felt like that scene was super manufactured and not, not really realistic when it comes to disability. But she meets her love interest there, who's a blind girl named Canem in the film, who also is not played by a disabled actress. I read on... Um, I read on Wikipedia that the actress had to like blindfold herself. And I was like, oh, fuck, come on. They couldn't have found somebody with some level of disability to put in this film? Jesus Christ. Like, no. And then she sees her tutory friend um, kissing a girl before they have a, another tutoring session. And she's kind of crushed because she sees them making out. And you can see her like being really sad about it. And then they're sitting there talking about stuff. And he goes, oh, have you had sex? And then she was like, so when you kiss a, when you kiss that girl, was she your girlfriend? He goes, no, no, she's just a friend. And then she was like, oh, you kissed your friends? He goes, yeah, you don't have to marry your friends. You can just kiss them. And then he kisses her, and I was like, that feels really weird. She didn't consent to you kissing her. That feels super not okay. It felt like they were giving so many passes to the able-bodied characters in this film and the, the more, the more able-bodied characters, as you'll see with Kenem too, in a minute, it, it was super problematic. Um, I just didn't think that it was... It just felt really awkward now in this Me Too era of this, this disabled character being constantly touched and groped and kissed. It, was, it just felt really weird. I know she's supposed to be going through a sexual awakening, but we they did definitely need to bring in questions of consent here. 
So Kenan and Lila kind of start a friendship slash relationship thing, and they go into they go into a, an electronic store, and almost immediately the the cashier is like, "Oh, I have something for you," and he pulls out an iPad, and he's like, "Oh, I really like you. Like, do you want to buy this?" And I just was I was watching that scene going, "Okay, back the fuck up." Whenever I enter a store. A salesperson is never available, never wants to help me, never is, like, courteous to do it, and certainly doesn't offer me an iPad the minute I, I roll into the store with my chair. I can't even tell you how many times I've walked into the Apple store and not left with the free iPad. So, WTF movie. That's not how that shit happens. And then she's like, can you get me a discount? He's like, oh, I like you all. See what I can do. Again, that does not happen in real life. What the hell? There's a scene where Kenem and her are at a museum. I think the Met, they're at a museum somewhere. And she, like, she touches her her breast. And I just felt it was so weird. All this touching of this disabled character in a wheelchair feels, without consent, feels really troubling. And we need to talk about that. And I really, I want to sit the director down and be like, no, this movie doesn't fly in 2019 because consent is not being offered here and it made me think about all the times that I have to that I have to more regularly ask for consent and expect to be asked about my consent for things. I'm going to actively do that more in my life cuz watching this on the film was just felt really I felt gross watching these characters touch her without her consent. So then her and Kenem go swimming and they're in the, in the locker room changing and Kenem is a blind woman who's unable, who who can't see, but helps, who helps Layla a lot. They're like they're like friends, but they're also soon to be lovers. And so they're in the locker room changing, and Layla looks at Kenem's naked body, and they, she just kind of looks, and I just kind of laugh because when I was younger, I would go swimming and I would stare at the men in the locker room, kind of pervily, but I wanted to. I it was my first experience looking at naked bodies, and now I fucking love naked bodies but I won't look without consent. So I, I just laugh because in a locker room, I do love that moment of seeing a hot naked dude and just having a quick glance, but I do feel like consent's important. Also, lovers, if you want to have sex in accessible bathrooms or showers, let's talk about that because seriously, that's like my biggest fantasy of the world. I want to have sex in a fucking locker room shower. Can we figure that out, please, someone? Someone, please. Anyway, back to the bill. <laughs> so then Lila and Kenem are at the bar, and Lila doesn't order a drink. It doesn't order, like, a, an, an alcoholic drink. She orders a Coke, and Kenem pressures her to get alcohol. And that was hard to watch because I think that some disabled people can't or don't want to drink. I'm one of them. I can, I can have a drink. I often choose not to. And I think we need to be mindful of that and show that on film. I'd love to see a disabled character say, no, I can't drink, or no, I'm choosing not to because it impairs my judgment, and my, I have to be I have to be hyper vigilant of my needs when I'm out, so I'm not gonna have a drink. I'd love to see a character say that. That's why I, when I go out in social spaces, don't have a drink or don't do stuff with alcohol or weed or things when I'm out in public because I need to safely get home, and no one's gonna help me do that, especially you know, or not, especially if I'm impaired. So when Kenan pressures, pressures her to drink to be like, you're an adult, have a drink with us. It felt 
super kind of awkward and it didn't take into account why this character may not be drinking. So then Lila and Kenem go back to her place. They Kenem gives her a massage. They have sex. Um, and and then they there's a montage of them like holding hands walking around New York and it made it seem like all of New York was accessible, which is totally not the truth. New York is totally not accessible. And so all the places they were going, if you watch that film and try to glean disability stuff from that film, you'd think everywhere in New York was accessible for a wheelchair user. And that's just not true. Um, also, I want a montage of a boy holding my hand around New York City. Can we please make this happen? I want, uh, I want a, a hot boy and I to walk around New York holding hands and and having a having a real serious conversation about accessibility on film can we do that please let's do that come on new york friends fly me out there again for to do a cool video piece let's figure it out yes i'll make out with you after i promise anyway let's go back to the film this whole time that she's in new york also her mom just like randomly came with her for two months which like privilege most mom and I wouldn't want my mom I love my mom to death and I would love my mom to, to hang out with me but I don't think my mom or I would want to be with each other for two months in a little tiny New York apartment it just doesn't seem plausible that her mom would just come which is why they should have had a conversation about care I really don't like that her care needs are not ever discussed ever so anyway, her mom is there, and her mom is looking through her computer one day and finds the porn that Lila was jacking off to, and she freaks out. And I just thought this scene was funny because it's so different to how my mom and I talk about sex now. She would never freak out. We just have a we just laugh and have a conversation about it. Then her mom and her have a screaming match about privacy, and that's it. And they kind of gloss over it. I really would have liked them to explore privacy and sexuality more in this film they it's, it's a one note moment and we never hear it again um and that's it they have one fight and then it's done which is just not realistic i would have liked to have seen those scenes go on longer and talk about the importance of privacy and what that means for disabled people and then in the next beat Kenem is asking Lila to move in with her, again, with no discussion about care, attendance, accessibility, etc. And seriously, it isn't that easy to move when you're disabled. You just don't up and decide you're going to go to your partner's house. It doesn't work that way. Um, and there's a scene where Kenem is renovating parts of her house and says like, oh, you better not break up with me for at least two years because I'm doing this for you. Okay, that's gross. She can leave whenever she wants. Also... Disabled friends who live in America and New York, if you're disabled and you want to move into your partner's house, does it just happen like that? No, no, there has to be more that goes on, right? You can't just get movers to renovate your house right away. It takes more time than two seconds, right? Let me know. Tell me and, and let's have a conversation about it for an episode. So they've moved in and they're happy and the next scene is she's at the cute cute helper boy's house and she asks to pee and he says oh let me help you and my first thought was wait this whole movie she's been like by herself and doesn't need anybody and then all of a sudden he, she needs his help like how does this character pee 
These are important plot points that I wasn't told about. Sometimes she needs help and sometimes she doesn't, and maybe that's true, but I want to see more of that. All of a sudden, he's helping her when, throughout the whole movie, we've never discussed her needs for peeing. So, like, tell me more about that stuff. So, anyway, he offers to help her on the, on the toilet, and he does. And then he, like, he's helping her get off the toilet when she's done peeing, and they look at each other, and she's like, oh, I want that D. I want that D so hard. In her eyes, she's like, I want his D so hard. And, girl, I've been there. I feel you. There were so many moments where I was like, yep, totally, for sure, been there. I want that D too, y'all. So many moments in my life where I wanted to, like, fuck somebody in a bathroom. Also, can we make this happen? Somebody please fuck me in a bathroom? Please, please. I want to fuck in an accessible stall. I really do. I've been talking about this on the show for two years now. I want to have sex in a bathroom. Somebody make this happen. So as he's helping her, they proceed to, like, make out. And then he takes her in the bed and they have sex. Sex with him looks the most painful. She looks like she's horribly... He looks like he's the worst in bed and not enjoying himself in the least. And there's no consideration to what she wants, how this might feel for her. And that's disappointing because I've definitely been there where a guy, like, pumps away, gets off, and then it's like, Okay, I'm done. Thanks. Bye. And it's like, whoa, could you just hang on? Can we, like, have a moment together, please? Whoa. So then a couple scenes later, she's in the, her mom is helping her in the bath and doing her, like, care a little bit, which I liked. And so she tells her mom that she's bisexual and her mom's like, ew, yuck, that's gross. And they do a pretty decent job of weaving disability politic into that combo. Her mom says, that's not normal. It's not normal to be bisexual. It's not right. And and her, and, and Lila says, that's what they said about me too. They said I wasn't normal. What's your problem now? And I, I just thought that was a really honest and true-to-life way of, of talking about disability and queerness together. Again, I wish that the actress was actually disabled. I can't handle that she wasn't. Gross. So then, a couple scenes later, Lila tells Kenim about the boy, about the sex with the boy, because she was cheating on her, and Kenim freaks out about him being able-bodied. And how dare she, because why Like, why would she go for someone normal, blah, blah. And I felt really, I felt this scene, because I can imagine when you're disabled and you're with another disabled person and they decide to sleep with an able-bodied person, there's a moment of internalized ableism that probably really hurts. I wouldn't know, because I've only ever slept with one other disabled person. I want to fuck more disabled people, so if you want to hang out with me, let me know. Um, with consent, of course. Um, but I, I, I can imagine that would be frustrating. Um, our own internalized ableism makes us, makes us feel like we're not good enough. And Kenem is really kind of mean about it. She says, you know, you use people, you use me to take care of you, blah, blah. And I just feel like that's really not super nice. And we shouldn't use care needs against disabled people when, when even if they hurt us, don't use their care needs against them. That's not fair. And then so somewhere in the middle of all this, Layla's mother gets cancer and dies. But I'm not going to focus on that because that, that's not really at all what the movie's about. Kenem and Lila break up and she goes, then she goes to like the, the parlor and gets her makeup done. And her friend's like, oh, where are you going? She's like, oh, I have a date. And then the final scene is her sitting in a restaurant with a margarita and a straw with a mirror up to herself smiling, which feels 
super weird. She ends up having a date with herself in a mirror. And I feel like more on why this happened and how this happened needs to definitely be explored in the film. It just felt, I laughed at it when I watched it yesterday. It felt super strange and uncomfortable. I mean, I do like that the film was exploring this girl's sexual awakening. I just feel like they should have explored certain things more, like accessibility and care needs and all that stuff. That That's real disability stuff. These films that only touch on small parts of disability care are not doing a good enough job. You need to, if you're going to crip up, which you should never do, but if you're going to do that, talk to a disabled person about their real experience. Get them to tell you everything so that the, the storyline makes real sense. When a disabled person is watching it, they feel like their real story is being told. Um, but I don't know why she was having a date with herself in front of the mirror. It's super weird. I give this film two out of five wheelchairs because it was really like kind of lame and kind of bad. I said lame in a weird way. I don't mean it in a derogatory way. It was just bad. Um, yeah, that's the film. And uh, you can get it on Netflix. Watch it yourself and, and let me know what you think. Send me your thoughts on it. But I didn't enjoy it. And they, they could have done way better in showing the Indian disabled experience. They could have done better by using disabled actors and actresses. Uh, the film needs a lot of work and it needs to it needed to move away from the inspirational porn narrative, which totally fed into. And that's why it won all the awards. And it won awards at the Toronto International Film Festival. My hometown can do better! Anyway, that's my thought on Margarita with a Naw, and uh, hope you enjoyed the show. If you have guest ideas, thoughts, show ideas, you want to write in a minisode, all those things, send me an email to disabilityafterdark@gmail.com, and I'd love to include your voice. Thanks for listening. Bye. Alright, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAftDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing. You help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities. So I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Ujiuchi. 
any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2019.